God, as it is found in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the second chapter, and we begin to read at the first verse of that second chapter. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which you have in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen and amen. The other day I saw one of my friends wearing one of those badges with inscription upon it. It was kind of a garish thing, but the inscription was very New Testament. It read, Be patient with me. God's not finished working with me. That's good theology. That's good theology, for though God has created the world he created it so that it continuously is being created. Though each one of us has been made in the image of God, God is still in the process daily, hourly, every minute, making us. Reread those opening words in the book of Genesis and you'll find that God after he had created and saw that everything was good, the Bible said God rested. It doesn't say he quit. He rested. In other words, the world 
you and me. We are a part of God's unfinished work. For God's still working in the world and in you and me. Jesus picks up this theme where he says in the New Testament, My Father is working still, and so do I work. And when he promises about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Jesus said he will come upon you and lead you into all the truth. In other words, there's some truth we don't know yet. God has yet to finish that truth by the power of his Holy Spirit. That truth which yet is to be revealed unto us. So my job here today is to remind you of what the Bible's trying to tell all of us, that God's in you. He's in you, in you, even those ushers clear in the back row. And in you, God's in me. And he is in us, says Paul, doing two things. Giving us the will. The will. You see, let's not give the credit to someone to whom it does not belong. But if you've come here today, if suddenly you have now more than ever before, the will and the desire to do something with your life that is meaningful. If you have the will to want to see sick people made well, sad people happy. If you have the will to want to help God to make a wonderful world and you being part of the solution, not part of its problems. If, if you really want to make your life count for something, that's God, willing in you. Do you ever wonder where you get these desires, these wishes, these wants? We get them from God, working in us. You see, that's what else God is doing. He is working in you and in me, and God doesn't belong to any labor union. He works seven days a week. He works 24 hours a day. He doesn't even take off. A holiday. This very moment, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is working in you and in me. Right now, right here, in this church, in this worship service, through this sermon, through this radio ministry. God is working. Now just realize that. The God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars... God the Father, He's here in you. God, who revealed Himself through a baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That God is working in you. The God who in Jesus Christ was reconciling the world unto Himself when He hung upon a cross outside of Jerusalem on a day called Good Friday. That God is working in you. And the God who resurrected his son on Easter morning 
and who said that he would come to us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That God is working in you and in me right now. And I want you to look at with me as how God might be working. These are universal principles that are taught to us in the Bible and in life. God's working in you right now, as he always does, by feeding you fantasy. By feeding you fantasy. And I use the word fantasy in its best use of the word, which means in a dream, in a vision, by giving an idea, a concept. How do you think God speaks to us? Pascal, the great 17th century French philosopher, says that when God wants people to do something, he does it always the same way. He places an instinct, an instinct in the mind of a person. That's where it comes from. God feeds these miraculous things that we call brains and which have the ability not only to record and to recall and to relive, but which have the ability to reveal God's will to us. God gives us dreams, ideas, beliefs, concepts, suggestions, and he enables us to see these facts before they're even facts through this feeding of our fantasy. Don't you realize it? The Wright brothers, Thomas A. Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Marconi, those people did not know of the industry that they were beginning. They didn't realize what they were about to do would have an effect upon people who living in 1978 and every one of those men has affected the life of every one of us here today. They didn't know that. All they had was an idea. A knife is still the most powerful thing in the whole world when it's in the mind of a belief is feeding the ideas and the fantasy. And they took that idea and they went with it. Please do not think me sacrilegious or irreligious. When I want to suggest to you that if we can picture this in human terms, and I think that's permissible because I think it's God who feeds our imaginations, and I think he would have us to do that. If we could see them, the Trinity, up there in heaven, sitting in the courts of that eternal place. And here they are throwing, just like a quarterback throws to the tight and wide receiver. He's throwing ideas, comprehension. Psychologists tell us our minds are capable of receiving seven new ideas, fantasies, every second. And here's God up there in the eternal heavens throwing it down to us, hoping that we will receive it. And I can see 
the Trinity and all the angels of heaven standing up there. And when one of us finally grasps that idea and decides we're going to run with that particular concept, I think there's a great cheering in heaven. He caught it. He got it. Praise the Lord. He has it at last. That's the way God works. And he's working in you and me right now, feeding us with fantasy of what he still wants to reveal to the world through you and through me. And we find these out through the mysterious way, the mystical way of God feeding our fantasy. And you want to be awake because you never know when that's going to happen. You never know. It can even happen while you sit in church. <laughs> it happened to me again this past Thursday night. We preachers, you know, are always trying to work far in advance. And I've been concentrating on some sermons that are to be preached in the next two months in this church. Thursday was kind of a difficult day, full of appointments, wonderful experiences with some of you. Was a guest at a lovely dinner party that night, came home, finished my late hour telephoning, and went to bed, as usual, around 12.30. 1.30, I was awake, and I was restless, and I couldn't sleep, though I was very tired. Finally, after about an hour of that, sermon ideas came popping into my mind. They came so quickly I had to get up. I went to the desk and there I remained until 4.45 Friday morning. And in that short period of time, four sermons were born. That's unusual for me because <laughs> they come slowly. But that morning, four sermons were found in the embryo stage. And as I look over those notes that I made then, I'm kind of excited about the sermons you're going to hear. <laughs> I say that rather humbly because I'm not going to really be sending them. They'll come through me. But I'm so excited, I can hardly wait to hear me preach. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for that is God is speaking to me and through me to you. And I don't know who God has in mind when he planted these ideas, but I believe one or two or many of you are the ones that God will be sending these messages simply to plant in your mind an idea, a concept, a belief. And from there, we don't know where it's going to go. Isn't that exciting? I'm sure you don't want to miss church the next four or five weeks, I'll tell you that. God works in us to feed our fantasies. And he does also other work. He works in us by fighting our fears. Fighting our fears. The man, the woman, has not yet been born who escapes fear. We all are frightened. We're frightened of different things, but it really doesn't matter. We're all frightened. 
And God knows that. Part of the human being is that he is one who is constantly harassed with fear. And it is fear that is our biggest enemy. What prevents us from becoming the people God would have us to be. You know what it is? It's fear. It's not your stupidity or mine or stubbornness, not even our sin. It's fear. That is the biggest obstacle anyone has to overcome in life. And God knows that. You see, the reason that you have not sung that solo, written that poem, taken that trip, begun that project, started that company, fulfilled that dream, is not because you don't have enough money or enough time or you think you're too young or too old. No, no. The only reason you haven't done it is because of fear. Fear that you will fail. Fear of the unknown. Fear that it will cost you too much and you're going to have to change the way of life. You're going to have to give up a few things. There are even a few people right here in this sanctuary today who really want to become tithers. People who want to give 10% of their income, gross income, to the Lord. To give it through this church or some other benevolent agency that tries to be efficient with the dollar. You really want to do it. But you won't. And the reason you won't is not because you don't have the money. And it's not because you don't have the resources to go out and, and find that kind of money. Now, the reason you won't do it is because you'll say you can't do it. And the reason you'll say you can't do it is because you'll be yielding to your fears. And you're fearful of what might happen if you commit yourself to so much money or what you might have to give up forgetting the fear that you ought to have of what you might be missing if you don't try to live beyond your fears. See, God knows those fears are in there. And the way God counteracts our fear is not to deny them. Nowhere in the Bible will you say, don't tell anybody you're frightened. No, no. But the Bible, and strange enough, somebody who's had the time and energy and tenacity to do it, he has counted the number of teachings that are in there that can come under the heading of fear nots. There are 365 of them. One for every day of the year. Isn't that ironic? But the Bible says the way that you face fear is to face it. And don't spend your time and your money and your energy trying to tell yourself and other people you're not frightened. No, no. Admit your fear. And then ask God to fight your fear. Realize it's there. Don't use some other lame brain cop-out or excuse. Admit it. It's fear that keeps you from what is going to happen or God wants to happen in your life. And look that fear in the face and say, with God's help... I will not let my heart be troubled, nor afraid. You see, when you, when you 
allow God, who is working in you, to fight your fears, you find that God works in another way in your life, and that is by freeing your faith. Freeing your faith. I'm sure some theologians would want to wrestle with me on this particular academic point, but when somebody comes to me and says, Dick, how do I get more faith? Where can I get it? I always say to them, you can't. You can't go out and buy faith. You can't go out and find faith. You have it, brother, sister. You have it. God has created in you faith. And this very moment, with those little tugs in there, no matter how fearful they might be that are going on in you right now, believe me, God is attempting to free the faith that you have in you. You read the Gospels. The amazing person in Jesus' mind is not the individual who has the faith that can move mountains, but rather the amazing individual is the individual who has faith and doesn't use it. Jesus said he marveled at their unbelief. He couldn't believe they didn't believe. When God created you and me physically, he placed in us a gallbladder, a, a pancreas, and heaven knows what else. But spiritually, he placed in you love, hope, and faith. He doesn't want to give you any more faith because you don't need it. You have all that you need. But what God is trying to do this very moment is work in you to free up that faith and to make you people who are alive by faith, justified by faith, thrilled with life, and looking forward to the anxieties and the happinesses and the problems and the joys of tomorrow, believing in faith that God has willed them to work good in your life. A man who's had a tremendous influence on my life recently is a, is, a, is a pastor, Dr. Robert H. Shuler. Now, he's getting lambasted by many preachers and teachers. That's a clue to you. Anybody that can have that many preachers against him, he's got to have something, believe me. Robert Shuler at the West Coast, he's done many, many wonderful things. Several years ago, in the fall of the season... He felt in prayer, led by God, to begin to televise the worship services out there at the Garden Grove Community Church in California. Scared to death, he got down on his knees and he kept getting the urge that God was feeding his fantasy with the idea it could be done. He kept responding in his prayer, but Lord, it's going to cost so much. Now, Robert, that's my business. Let me handle that. You just get on with the doing. And he did. The decision was made the first Sunday of February. They would telecast for the first time the worship services of that great church. As time grew closer to that beginning, they found that they had to put in some additional lights, big television lights from the balcony that would shine down in the chancel area. $10,000 was needed. And what's more, the electrician... I don't know, I must have been a Methodist or something. He wouldn't put them in until they were paid for. 
And the business manager came and said, Dr. Schuler, we have to have $10,000 and we have to get it by tomorrow. Schuler said to the business manager, fine, go get it. <laughs> business manager says, you're the preacher, go pray for it. He didn't know what he was going to do. I think probably if I'd been in his shoes, I'd have called a meeting and probably would have canceled the idea. But not sure. He kept on going through his daily routine, meeting all of his appointments. The next morning at 11 o'clock, he was scheduled to see a man and a woman. He didn't recognize their name. He thought that they were having marital problems. They came into his study and they said, Dr. Schuler, we've been attending your church. We are people who are not only very much in love with one another and married, but professionally, we work together. And several weeks ago in a sermon, you challenged the people in that church to become tithers. We didn't think we could do it, but we felt moved by the Spirit of God. And holding each other's hand, we said in the quietness of that sanctuary, we were going to do it. And we accepted your challenge. Our auditor just last week came and told us that last year, collectively in our corporation, we made $100,000. Here, sir, is a check for $10,000. This is our tithe to the Lord. And Schuler began to cry. And they wondered what they had done. They didn't understand. These people didn't know why. They had only acted in faith. And they brought the money. Schuler didn't know where money was coming from. He only had faith that it would come. And the miracle of the whole thing, as Schuler says, I never saw those people before in my life, and I've never seen them since. But with that $10,000, the Hour of Power television program began. God's working, feeding our fantasies, fighting our fear, which is real in every one of us, by freeing up our faith and giving us that little nudge and that little push which says, go ahead, try it. Try it. You see, God is working in us, but our responsibility is to work out, no matter how much fear and trembling it takes, work out the work that God is willing and working within us. That's our job. And today, in a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to work out the feeding, the fighting, the freeing up that God is working in you right now. I very seldom do this, but I want to read to you a rather lengthy piece. A piece that has been a great help to me recently, and one that I want you to listen to very carefully. It's an anonymous statement which appears in the Counseling Center of the Garden Grove Community Church in California. It goes, and I quote, God has a plan for me. It is hidden within me, just as the oak is hidden within the acorn and the rose within the bud. I believe that anything, anything which comes into my life 
is necessary for my growth. As I give myself more fully to this God-given plan, it expresses itself more perfectly through me. I can tell when I'm in tune with it, for then my mind and heart are filled with a deep inner peace. This peace fills me with a sense of security, with joy, and a desire to do those things that are a part of the plan. Or I am filled with a new patience, a new stillness, that makes it possible for others to unfold the plan to me. This plan is a perfect part of a larger plan. It is designed for the good of all and not for me alone. It is a many-sided plan and reaches out through all the people I meet and all the events of my life. Therefore, I accept the events and the people who come into my life as instruments for the unfoldment of God's plan for me. God has chosen those he wants me to know to love and to serve and we are continually being drawn to one another I pray that I may become a better instrument to love and to serve and that I may become more worthy to receive the love and services of others so that together we may more perfectly express God's plan in our lives I ask the Father within for only those things which are mine I know that my good will come to me at the right time and in the right way. This inner knowing frees my mind and heart from all fear, jealousy, anger, and resentment. It gives me courage and faith to do those things which I feel are mine to do. When I am in tune with God's plan, I am free from greed, passion, impure thoughts and deeds. I no longer look with envy at what others are receiving, nor do I compare myself with them. Therefore, I do not cut myself off from God, the giver of all good things. God's gifts to me are many, many times greater than I am now receiving. I pray that I may increase my capacity to receive as well as my ability to give, for I can 